0: You know, one of the more remarkable things that happens every four years, even sometimes every eight years, is that our president and his family walk across the South Lawn, hop into Marine One, which is the presidential helicopter. They are then whisked away to Andrews or Air Force Base where they get on an airplane and they are flown home. And on that same day, a new administration comes into the White House to lead our country. Now, in the transition of that power, there is no bloodshed. There is no violence. There is no coup that is seeking to take down leadership. It is a peaceful transition of leadership. It is a rare little critter that most of the world has never seen before. Now, you contrast that with what first century believers were facing in the government that God had placed over top of them. Nero was the Roman Caesar in charge of Simon Peter's writing of this letter. Now, Nero was a a reckless, foolish, bloodthirsty leader. He hated Christians. In fact, it's at Nero's command that both Simon Peter and the Apostle Paul were killed. He had such a disdain for people of the way, Christians, that he would run them through with stakes, dip them in wax, set them on fire, and they would become human candles at his garden parties. In fact, Nero set the entire city of Rome on fire at one point. And when the citizens rose up in anger over what he had just done, he sought to dispel the rumors by blaming Christians. It's interesting, first century Roman historian Tacitus, he said this, Therefore, to stop the rumor... Nero falsely charged with guilt and punished with the most fearful tortures the persons commonly called Christians. Persecution increased after this. Believers were sentenced to death by crucifixion, by being burned alive, by being fed to wild animals. I can imagine that this is probably what Simon Peter had in mind when he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12, do not be surprised, dear friends, when the fiery ordeal comes against you, to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, verse 13, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may rejoice with great joy when his glory is to be revealed. Eight years ago, Christy and I were in downtown Rome and we had the opportunity to look upon the floor of the Colosseum where thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ lost their lives for the sake of Jesus. And as I looked upon that sand on that ground, Romans 1.16 came to my mind where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And as I think about first century believers who are suffering for the sake of the gospel, who are truly enduring persecution, Simon Peter in his first letter now equips believers with how to be citizens of two kingdoms. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going through a sermon series as a church entitled Imperishable in which we're walking through the book of First Peter together as a faith family. We've seen all that God has done for us in the gospel and the work of Christ throughout chapter 1 and part of chapter 2. Last week we saw in chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 of how we are to deny ourselves and we are to display godliness as we anticipate the day of visitation. As we anticipate the day in which Jesus comes back for us. Now, we, as we get ready to read this text in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13-17, through 17, we're about to see the call that God places upon us of how we as believers uh, stand in relationship with a government. Now remember as we read this text, Peter has just called us, verse 11, strangers and exiles. We're sojourners who are just passing through. And yet, we still have a role to play in how you and I... Relate to the government. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. Simon Peter writes, "'Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, "'whether to the emperor as the supreme authority "'or to governors as those sent out by him "'to punish those who do what is evil "'and to praise those who do what is good. "'For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance "'of foolish people by doing good.'" Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Think of how Simon Peter's tune has changed. It wasn't but a few years before this that when Jesus was being arrested, What did Simon Peter have in his hand? A sword. He was ready to fight to the death to defend his Savior. But now, Peter is calling upon believers to submit to those who are in authority. Notice in the text the three reasons why. First, Christ followers submit to the government because of the gospel. Verse 13, he writes, Submit to every human authority Because of the Lord. The word submit means to place under, to be subject to. In fact, in the next several verses, we're going to see God giving us a proper order of submission. We're going to see it in a few weeks in marriage in chapter 3. We're going to see it next week when it comes to bosses in the workplace at the end of chapter 2. But we also see submission right here in relationship to the government. So why should believers submit to governing authorities? Well, Peter tells us, verse 13, because of the Lord. Our motivation for submission to an emperor, to a governor, or to a president or a mayor is the Lord. You see, there are two gospel-motivated reasons for submission to the government. Let me give these to you. The first is this. Jesus is the master over every government leader. Whether kings or congressmen or council members, whether they know God personally or not, they are still under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus remains Lord over all. We see this in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, in which we see that God is the one who raises up kings and he is the one who brings them down. In fact, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and watch this, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. On the day in which Jesus ascended back up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God the Father, before he left, he said this, Matthew 28, verse 18, the Great Commission all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is Lord, he is the sovereign king of kings. And every king and every queen, every dictator and every small town mayor will one day bow their knee and confess with their mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. And y'all, we can gladly submit to earthly governments because we know the one who is Lord over them all. But secondly, the second gospel motivation is that Jesus is the model for submission. The Nicene Creed refers to Jesus as very God of very God. Jesus, who is the Lord over all of the cosmos, submitted himself Ultimately, to the will of the Father. In John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Isn't this great? God never asks us to do something that he himself hasn't already done. Think about it. The author of life. The creator of all things, the savior of the world, humbled himself, even before a temporary government. Now, here's a thought for you to take home this week and just go get coffee and just sit and think about this reality. As Jesus stood on trial before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor over all of Judea, Jesus told him in John 19, you would have no authority over me at all if it had not been given to you by God. He's saying, Listen, Pilate, you have no authority over me unless God himself had given you the authority. And yet, don't miss this, even Jesus, the one who is, has all of the authority over heaven and earth, He gave authority to the governor. He gave authority to Pilate so that Pilate might leverage his authority over Jesus that might send him to his death at the cross that the Father had ordained long before time had ever begun. Go to Starbucks and think about that. Jesus, who is Lord over all, gives authority to Pilate so that Pilate might sentence him to death so that he might indeed take our sins at the cross. God is sovereign over it all. And the gospel is our motivation for submission to our earthly government. Whether it's a dictator or a democracy, a republic or a dictatorship, we can submit to our earthly governments motivated first by the gospel. But the second reason Christ's followers submit to the government, number two, is because of God's will. Verse 15, "...for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good." Peter is teaching believers that you shut the mouths of foolish people by living a godly life. Your good works, they display not only that the gospel is true, not only that Christ has changed your life, but you disarm your enemies and you disarm them of their accusations against you when you live a good life. That word silence there, it means to muzzle. Is there anybody in your life you would like to muzzle? I know I've got some. I mean, I see him on Facebook. And I'm like, you know, I would just love to muzzle you. Or it's just like, if I can just take your phone away from you and you just hush, right? Well, here, Simon Peter is saying, listen, your good deeds, your good works are the mute button to those who seek to leverage accusations against you. You live such a godly life, you live in such a way that your good works display the glory of Jesus, they're gonna have nothing to say against you. Simon Peter has a timely word for the American church today. And as the culture around you and the culture around me is increasing in its ungodliness, Here is God's will for the church, do good. those who belong to Jesus. You see, when you submit to the government, when you obey the laws of the land, when you serve those in need, when you feed the hungry and clothe the naked, and when you build church buildings and you bring order to chaos, as we empty out the foster care system, as we go out into the world and teach young kids how to read, and as we train young men and women on how to lead godly productive lives it is through our doing good that we shut the mouths of those who seek to accuse us of evil this is how you move forward your life is able to shut the mouths of those who are against you and against jesus so let me ask you how's your life going What good works are you displaying? How are you serving the community? What does it look like in your life? So that if anyone were to leverage an accusation against you, the people around you would just be like, I know that ain't true. I've seen their life. They live good works. They display the gospel. That is a way that you can leverage Jesus against those who seek to speak evil against you. Your submission is God's will. The third reason Christ followers submit to the government is because, verse 16, we are freed slaves. Verse 16, submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's Slaves. Now it's interesting, verse 16 starts off with the word submit. Some of your translations may use the word live or act. Okay, so Kenneth, why is there a disparity here? Well, in the original language, the text does not have a verb. And for us in the English language, it's not a true sentence unless it has a verb in there. Okay, so the English interpreters are supplying one right here. But the key to the text begins with our identity. Namely, we are free people. Yet as free people, we are to use our freedom not as a a cover up, not as a way to live evil lives, but as those who have been set free but now belong to Jesus. This concept of being a freed slave, it's actually like an oxymoron that describes our position in Christ. Christian, hear me today, we are a free people. You are free from the power of sin. You are free from the power of death. You are free from the power of Satan. You are free from the power of the world. You are a free people. And yet, we are not to use our freedom as leverage to live however we want to. We are not to use our freedom as a way to go and live evil lives. Peter says, no, we're not going to use our freedom for evil, but we're going to use our freedom for the sake of Christ. You see, you died to sin, and now you are alive to Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin, we're slaves to righteousness. It's interesting, Romans 6, how Paul lays out that disparity. But now, you and I, we live under the authority of Christ. You no longer live however you want to, but you joyfully submit to the authority of Jesus in your life. Let me give you a personal example. Before I came to know Jesus, I had a filthy mouth especially when it came to athletic competition and when the intensity of the rivalry was high, I would often use my words as a way of cursing or of slander. But when I met Jesus at the age of 18, he changed my heart, he changed my life, and now I have been set free from sin. I've been set free from the sins of my mouth. But now that I'm a free person, I'm not to go back to this old way. I'm now under the authority of Jesus, no longer under the authority of sin. And so here Peter is saying, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't use your freedom from sin as a reason to go back and say, well, I'm free in Christ. I can say whatever I want to. I've been forgiven, I've been redeemed, so I can speak, I can act, I can live, I can have any attitude I want to because I'm under grace and no longer under law. But Peter's saying, no, 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 that's not who you are, that's not what this looks like. And so Peter is now applying this truth of freedom to our citizenship. We are not to go on using our freedom in Christ as an excuse to sin, Well, Kenneth, what about this situation? What do I do if the government asks me to do something that is wrong? Okay, here's an answer. I'm gonna give you the truth. I'm gonna back it up with some scripture, okay? Here's the truth. It's in your notes. Christians must submit to the government except when it, the government, commands us to violate the clear teaching of the Bible or, our scripture informed, spirit led conscience. What do you mean by that? Let me explain it to you. If the government forces you to do something that is against what the Bible teaches, you must disobey the government. I'm gonna back this up with scripture in just a moment. Or, if the Word of God has placed within you a conviction, that would violate your conscience, if you were to do this, then you are free to disobey the governments. Exodus chapter one. Pharaoh commands the midwives to kill every baby boy as soon as it's born. Well, the midwives, they feared God instead of Pharaoh. And they would make sure that as soon as those baby boys were born, that they were delivered over to safety. And so Pharaoh got angry and criticized these midwives and said, how in the world can you let this happen? And they said, listen, these Hebrew women, they're just amazing. <laughs> they give birth and all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, it's too late to kill them now. By the time we get there, it's already a done deal. And God shows favor, the scripture says, to these midwives because they disobeyed the government and obeyed God in his ultimate authority. In Daniel chapter three, we see King Nebuchadnezzar who builds a golden statue and he commands all the people to bow down and to worship the statue. Three Hebrew men said no dice. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all said we will not bow down to this golden idol. We worship one true God and that ain't him. They were, they were sentenced to death, thrown into a fire pit And they said, we're going to go in there regardless, but we're not backing down. May I say to you right now, you need to make up in your mind when you're going to stand and when you're not. Those three men decided beforehand that they were going to stand firm. We're not going to battle an idol, even if it means we're going to die. Then you get to Acts chapter 4 and 5. Simon Peter, the same author of this letter. He's preaching the gospel, and people are getting saved. And so the leaders gather him together, and they put him in court, and they said, you need to stop sharing the gospel. And the short of it is, he said, no, I won't. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. I'm going to keep preaching Jesus. He says, we will obey God rather than man. And so if the government ever seeks to lead you or command you, to do something that disobeys the Bible, you must disobey the government. Our ultimate authority is to the Lord. Now, if the government commands you to do something that does not violate Scripture, that does not violate your Scripture-informed, Spirit-led conviction and conscience, then you are to acquiesce. You are to obey. Paul address this exact situation in Romans chapter 13. Keep your finger in 1 Peter 2 and turn with me to Romans 13. Let me show you this. Because the apostle Paul said something very similar to Simon Peter said here. In Romans chapter 13 verse one, Paul says this, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval, for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason." "'For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. "'Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. "'And for the reason,' excuse me, "'and for this reason, you pay taxes, "'since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. "'Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, Tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you who honor. You see, as believers, we are to gladly submit to the government that God has placed above us. Their job, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, is to punish those who do evil and to reward those who do good. It's the government's job to bear the sword and to be ministers of justice in society. It's the government's job to serve and protect the people, not the other way around. But the way that many people in our culture act when their political party is in control, you would think that Jesus had just come back. You would think revival had broken out when their particular political party is in power. Now, don't hear me downplay the significance of our leaders because there's no doubt it's important who they are and how they lead. But hear me today. If you spend more time watching CNN and Fox News than praying for your children, your church, and your community, your heart is directed in the wrong direction. Don't miss that. Listen, if you want to change the world, give more attention to who lives in your house than who lives in the White House. Give more attention, give more prayer to those who are under your authority. You see, the danger that you and I face is we place too much weight upon those who are in control in Montgomery or who's in the Oval Office in D.C., you see, government can be a very good servant, but a terrible savior. And far too many Americans are looking to the White House for salvation, and they will never find it. Salvation will not arrive on Air Force One. Salvation is found in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And yet he calls upon us as free people to submit to the government as God's slaves. So what does this look like practically? What does submission look like for us in our everyday lives? Let me give you four ways, they're right here in the text, verse 17, number one, honor everyone. Everyone is an image bearer. All people are made by God and are worthy of honor and respect. Yet in the context of 1 Peter 2, we are to respect everyone, especially those who are in authority. Which means you and I, we are to honor and we are to respect police officers and military. I'm already coaching up my children that we follow the leadership of the police and the law enforcement and those who are in authority above us. Why? Because God commands it. Now, if you are in law enforcement, let me encourage you, lead well. Because remember, all leaders, don't miss this truth right here, All leaders who serve in positions of authority will answer to the one who put them there. So as those who have positions of authority, remember you're going to give an account. So as a father, as a husband, as a law enforcement, as a politician, as a pastor, as a boss, however you have authority, you're going to be held to an account. So make sure you lead well. And you do that by honoring everyone. But number two, you love the church. Peter writes, Love the brothers and sisters, or love the brotherhood. Peter is narrowing his scope from honoring everyone to loving God's people. This is your family. And so, Westwood, when you look across this room and when you look across this campus, these are God's people whom you are commanded to love. Number three, fear God. Note that it does not say fear the emperor. It does not say fear the king. It does not say fear the president. We are not those who fear those who can kill the body but cannot touch the soul. Rather, we fear him, Jesus says, who can cast both body and soul into hell. So, regardless of someone's position, regardless of someone's title, we do not fear them. In fact, we are to fear God alone. And when you fear him, you have nothing else to fear. So, let me ask you what if the government said, just like they told Daniel, it is illegal to pray? Would you keep praying? What if the government said it is illegal to share the gospel? Would you keep sharing the gospel? What if the government said it's illegal to gather together as the church? Would you still gather? You see, we are not to fear any man. We are to fear the Lord. Fourthly, honor the emperor. Peter finished this, the section where he started in verse 13. Honoring the leader of your governments. So Kenneth, how can we honor our leader? We, we already did part of that this morning you pray for your leaders. First Timothy two, it's good and God commands it to pray for those whom God has placed in authority above you. I would say second, encourage them. Leadership is a heavy weight to carry. I'm learning this because I'm in this position now. And so encourage your national and local leaders. In your notes are the email addresses of some of our leaders. I wanna encourage you to send them a note and say thank you. I appreciate your leadership. I I wrote a note this uh, a few weeks ago to a a person in leadership in our government. I just wanna say thank you for serving and leading. I, I so appreciate all that you do for us. You see, this is how we encourage, we build them up. This is how we can honor the emperor. But you see, y'all, they are not the ultimate emperor. In fact, there's an even greater emperor on which the government will be on his shoulders. And there's coming a day in which this ultimate emperor will come back and set up a kingdom in which he will rule and reign forever. And his name is Jesus. He is the one whom we love. He is the one we submit to. And he is the one that we are to follow no matter all because of what he did for us in the gospel.